I want to speak to you this morning about true freedom. What is true freedom? You know, this past Friday, all over America, we celebrated the 4th of July. You know, that's really one of our major holidays. Seems like all the business, most of the business is shut down. Families get together, shoot fireworks, just celebrate in many ways. And basically what we're doing is saying, listen, we want to celebrate that uh, over 200 years ago, there was a revolution in this country, and we broke away from the tyranny of England, taxation without representation, the oppressive hand of England trying to keep this new world, this new colony under their rule. You know, to be honest, I never really understood the price of the Revolutionary War. I mean, I remember studying it in history in school, and I especially was interested in the Civil War. But uh, I think it was the History Channel that had a three-hour documentary this past week on the Revolutionary War. And I watched the whole thing. It was on different nights. First of all, I didn't know it lasted as long as it did. It lasted many many years. Secondly, I didn't realize the death toll that took place in the Revolutionary War. It was shocking to me that, see, that when the English won the Battle of Charleston, that 10,000 American patriots were imprisoned, and most of them died of starvation, 10,000 in one battle. Then as I saw battle after battle, and then I saw a lot of people in America who couldn't make up their mind whether they wanted to serve England or be a part of the revolution. They were called loyalists. But as I watched it battle after battle after battle and saw the price that was paid, it made me once again realize that freedom is not cheap. Freedom is costly. And when the final battle was won at Yorktown in Yorktown, Virginia, once again, there was a new nation born. And it was a nation under God. You know, I looked up the word freedom. Freedom is the control. Freedom is the freedom from the control of another. You say, well, we were set free from the control of England. Well, that's freedom. But freedom is really not only corporate, but it's personal. And you know, really the key to freedom in any land is the freedom that's in the heart of every individual. You see, we get set free one person at a time. And then as we get set free, families get set free, then communities get set free, then a state and a nation. And so really my heart today is all about uh, personal freedom. The personal freedom that was purchased and paid for by Jesus on the cross. I love that song, The Statue of Liberty. And then it says the cross is our Statue of Liberty. That's a symbol 
of the freedom that we have in Christ. You know, when you talk about personal freedom, the thing that really gripped my heart was that Jesus came not to jet us, just to set us free from things. Jesus came to set us free to things. In other words, if freedom just means, well, I'm, not in, I'm no longer under the control of that, that's only halfway. What does Jesus set us free to? We're set free from to be set free to the destiny or the purpose that God has for our life. So I want to talk to you this morning about personal freedom. What God, through Jesus, frees us from. But much more important, what God, through Jesus, frees us to do and frees us to be. The great passage in the Word of God about freedom is John chapter 8. And I want to read that, the 8th chapter of John, and beginning in verse 31. Now, these are the words of Jesus. He was speaking to the Pharisees and the Jews, but some of the Jews had believed in him. That was costly. For a Jew to believe in Christ in that day was costly. It still is. But then he spoke a word of freedom to these Jews that had believed in him. And in John 8, 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. Now get this. If you abide in me, notice he said. He didn't say if you abide in religion, if you abide in good works, if you abide in rituals or rites. Jesus made it for He said, now let me tell you, if you abide in me, and notice, and my words, my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And then he says it. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Jesus said, if you abide in me and you abide in my word, you, you're going to know the truth. And it's absolutely going to set you free. He's talking about personal freedom. And then over in verse 34, Jesus said, Jesus and said unto them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a servant of sin. But then in verse 36, listen to what he said. Therefore, if the Son makes you free. I want you to know this. No individual can set you free. No good works can set you free. No church can set you free. Jesus said in verse 36, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. So first of all, I want to talk to you about the source of true freedom. What is the source of really living a life where you're not under the control of another? where you're living the, a life not under control of the world, the flesh, and the devil. What, what, what is the source of true freedom in our hearts and in our lives? And then I want to share with you about what Jesus sets us free from that we are to become. Now, you know and I know Jesus said, if you abide in me, 
and my word, you're my disciples indeed. All true freedom comes from abiding in Jesus Christ. You know, it, it's so simple, but it's profound. You know, the, the purpose of religion is to make things complicated. Paul said, I don't want you to be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. God did not make it hard. He made it so simple and so clear. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word, you're going to know the truth. Now listen, to abide in Jesus Christ, you know what it means? It means, first of all, you've got to be in Christ. And that involves two things. I say them every Sunday. If I don't, you remind me and I'll say them, okay? It revolves in repentance of our sin and personal faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot abide in Christ until you see yourself as a sinner separated from God, without God and without hope. And in repentance of your sin, which means to change your mind, I don't want to keep living in sin. It means to change your direction. I'm living for myself and living for this world and I'm living in sin, but I repent. I don't want to do that anymore. I turn and I want to live. I want Christ to be in my life and I want to be free from sin and live for him. And so you've got to understand the, the beginning of abiding in Christ is to repent. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And then to trust Jesus and Jesus only his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. Trust him only as your Lord and as your Savior. So it all begins with repentance and faith. But then, you know, somebody asked me before the service, and it was a profound question. He said, what's the hardest thing about the Christian life in this world? Now, how would you answer that? What's the hardest thing about the Christian life in this world? I thought, but then it dawned on me. You know the hardest thing? In this world in which we live, this secular world, this humanistic world, this hedonistic world which, uh, whose God is pleasure, you know the hardest thing in this world for a Christian? is to keep focused on, surrendered to, and to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because see, all, all, all of the media, all of society, this world is not our home. We're strangers here. We're pilgrims here. We're passing through. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And if you think it's easy to live the Christian life in the society we're in, you must be living in a different society than I'm living in. It seems like all the focus is on the flesh, all the focus is on man, and none of the focus is on God and on the Holy Spirit. So abiding in Christ means that you trust Him, you look to Him, you depend on him, you rely on him, you daily surrender to him, daily you make him your Lord and master, and your life is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. 
To abide in Christ means that he is the vine and you are a branch and you are connected to him and he is your life and you're, a lot, you're relying on him, depending on him, looking at him, focused on him, and he, you're surrendered to him. That is what it means to abide in Christ. And he said, now, as you abide in me, I'm talking about the source of all freedom. Abiding in Christ, but secondly, and my word abides in you. You know, truth. You know, when you get talking about truth, Jesus said, John 14, 6. Here's a great verse. Well, what is truth, Brother Fred? The humanist says truth is there is no God. We must save ourselves. The humanists say we're just a part of, product of the Big Bang and we're just part of naturalistic evolution. I mean, and, and so education says, hey, there's really no place for God because we just happen to be a higher form of animal. I got one thing about that. That is a lie. It's a lie. We were created by God in his image, and he's got a purpose for you. I'll tell you, you're not a higher form of animal. You're a special, unique creation of the living God. And so what is truth? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. Let me tell you about Jesus and truth. Did you know that Jesus, by the words he spoke, and the life he lived elevated the dignity of women more than any person that has ever lived. You see, the women were kind of just, that somehow they were seen as inferior to men. But Jesus came and he magnified the place of the woman and told husbands to love their wife, talked about marriage and equality. Let me say something. The truth of Jesus about womanhood absolutely lifted them. Have you noticed how religion suppresses women? But Jesus exalts the place of a woman in life and in society. It's called truth. And Jesus spoke about what it was to be forgiven. See, Jesus said, I am the truth. I'm the truth about God. I'm the truth about life. I'm the truth about forgiveness. I'm the truth about faith. I'm a truth that you're not saved by good works. You're saved by my death. See, Jesus is the truth. But this book, it's his word. And you know what it says in John 17, 17? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You won't know the truth. <laughs> Don't read the editorial in the newspaper. Don't believe all you hear on television. And certainly don't believe all you read in the liberal books that are taught in school. This, this, look at me. This is the truth right here. This is the truth. You say, I don't know about that. Well, you better find out about it. That's all I got to say. I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to die believing this book, every word in it, and I'm going to try to live by it because I want to tell you everything else I've read is so inferior to this book. There's no comparison. You say, you're dogmatic about the Bible. I'm worse than that. <laughs> it's the truth, friend, I'm telling you. 
You want to know how to love your wife and you want to know how to forgive and you want to know how to walk and live in this daily life and overcome temptation and have peace and joy. You read this book and I tell you God's word will be a lamp to your feet and it'll be a light to your path. And God's word you can hide in your heart that you will not sin against him. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You know what Colossians 3.16 says? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Hey, abiding in Christ is looking to him and letting his truth. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Oh, say, I've talked to you now about the source of truth. And I think I've made it clear that Jesus is the only source of freedom. You're not free until you're in Jesus. You may be a millionaire, but you're not free till you're in Jesus. You may be the most educated person in the world, but you're not free till you're in Jesus. You may be poor, but you're not free till you're in Jesus. Do you understand? All right, but here's the second thing. What does Jesus set us free from? And what does he set us free to? It's just not what he sets us free from. It's what he frees us to. Here's the thing. There, there's, let me, how many things have I got here? I got to see how many I got. I got, Lord have mercy, I got seven things. If I don't get through, I'll finish next week. But here, here you go. There's seven things I want to talk to you about that Jesus sets us free from. And sets us to. The first thing that Jesus Christ does. When he comes into our life. He sets us free from sin. Guilt. And shame. You see a part of the human life. It's what was called conscience. Now a conscience can be seared. A conscience can be dulled. A conscience can become reprobate. But if that, even when God created man after man sinned, there was a consciousness there. And when man did wrong, he knew when he sinned, he knew something was wrong and he experienced guilt and shame. How do I know that? The first sin that was ever committed by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the first thing they did, they realized they were naked, shame. And the second thing they did, they hid behind the trees, guilt. And so they were eaten up with sin and guilt and shame. And Jesus came and said, you know, I want to set you free from uh, freedom. I want you to be free from sin. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 18. And having been, now listen to it. And having been set free from sin, you become servants of righteousness. He said, I've come to set you free from sin. And then he also says in verse 20 of Romans, he said he not only set us free from sin. In verse 20 of Romans 6, he says, for when you were slaves of sin, oh, he said you, you were a slave of it. If you commit sin, you become its slave. And when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
But then in verse 22, he says, I love this. You see, Jesus came to set us free from sin, from guilt, and from shame. It says in verse 22 of Romans 6, having been set free from sin and having become servants of God, slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Now, okay, you say, Brother Fred, I'm in Christ and I know he has set me free from sin. And he set me free from guilt. And he set me free from shame. But what has he set you free to? He set you free to a life of righteousness. It says here, you were slaves of sin, but you have the fruit of holiness and the end. You see, Jesus saves us from sin so we can live a righteous life. It's not just what we get empty of, it's what he fills us with. And he set us free to a life of righteousness, which means you live right according to the word. And a life of holiness. Hey, man, we, we talk all about, well, boy, you need to be forgiven of your sin. and You need to be free from your sin and your guilt and your shame. And I say, amen. But I say, I'm, I'm telling you what, Jesus didn't get you out of that. He get, got just for you to do what you wanted to do. He set you free from that so you could live a life of holiness. And did you know the word holy? It's a hard word to understand. The Bible says God is holy, holy, holy. The only time three things are said about God. The Bible doesn't say God is love, love, love. God is love. That's who he is. But then it says God, God is holy, holy, holy. When Isaiah saw the Lord lifted up in the temple, all the cherubim were saying holy, holy, holy. And you know what holy means? That God is far above any other being. He is so far above any other being, there's no one that can compare with him. He is beyond comparison. God is holy far above any other. He is holy far above any other. He is holy. Well, what is it when you're holy? What is it when I'm holy? When Jesus Christ sets us free from guilt and shame, and sin, we live a holy life. You know what it means? We live above the level of this world. The world lives on this level. But now that our sins are gone and the guilt and shame is gone, we're not living on the level of this world. No, we're living a holy life. We're living above the level of this world. We don't live like this world lives. We don't live like they live. We live a holy life. It is above the level of of this world we live in. So he saved us from sin, guilt, and shame that we could live a holy life. That's an absolute awesome part of it, that we could live a holy life. You know, um, second thing Jesus set us free from, I'm just going to move on from that. And this is very important. Set free from sin, guilt, and shame to live a righteous and holy life by Christ living in us. Here's the second thing he sets us free from that we can be free to. He sets us free from a life of selfishness and self-centeredness that we can live a life of giving and service. Think about it. 
before a person gets saved, really, they, they're just basically living for themselves. Just living for themselves. Their life revolves around themselves. Because if you don't know Christ, then it's all about I. But when Jesus comes, he sets us free from a life of self-centeredness and selfishness and frees us to be a life of, of giving and of a servant. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 9.19 says. Now, now, Paul was free. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus set him free. He knew he was free. But you know what he said? He made himself a servant of all men. Listen to him. In 1 Corinthians 9.19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant of all that I might win the more. Paul said, listen, I'm not under the control of any man. I'm not in bondage to any man. I'm free from any man. I'm not impressed by who they are or who they aren't. He said, I'm free from all men, but I'm going to tell you what I've done. Jesus not only set me free from the bondage to man, he set me free to be the servant, a servant of all men. You know, this world has one thing. The, 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 the philosophy of this world is you lord it over other people. You get in authority and you lord it over them. In other words, uh, you, 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 it's your way or the highway. And it's all about you getting your way. And, 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 and instead of serving people, our society uses people. But Paul said, no. Jesus set me free from selfishness and self-centeredness. But he set me free to be a servant and to give. And he said, I'm free from all men. But I want to tell you, I'm a servant of all men. Can I tell you, the, you're never more like Jesus than when you have a giving heart and a serving heart. You know, there's a very um, enlightening and somewhat disturbing passage that Jesus gave. It's found in Matthew 25, verse 34. And it's about four verses, but I want you to listen to them. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you been set free from a life of selfishness and self-centeredness to a life of giving of yourself and of service? Have you been set free? And when you're free, you see, living for yourself is a small little world. It's just a small circle. I'm just living for myself. It's all about me and all about what I want. And it's all about somebody making me happy. And it's always like uh, life's not fair to me. I, it's all about I'm being life treating me fair. No, that's a small world to live in. But then when you get free, Paul said, I'm a servant to all men. But Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 20, 34. Then the king shall say to them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Boy, you talk about a great invitation. He said, come on, join me in the heavenly kingdom. And then he said, you know, because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Oh, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? When did we see you naked and clothe you? And the king shall answer them and say, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You know, you sure can't live to yourself and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and be concerned about the stranger and visit the sick and the person. You see, Jesus Christ not only sets us free from sin, guilt, and shame to a life of holiness where we live a godly life above the level of this world, but he sets us free from selfishness and self-centeredness to a life of giving and service. And you talk about a big world. You talk about where you get great satisfaction. It's when you give of yourself and pour into the life of other people. Man, that's a big world. That's a big world. And that's a great world of freedom. But you go on, and Jesus came to set us free from fear to a life of security in Christ. That's a big thing, y'all. Jesus came to set us free. And as we abide in Christ and he abides in us, he sets us free from a life of fear. And he takes us into the freedom of being secure in Jesus Christ. I have told you before and many times that fear is the main tactic or strategy of the devil. He loves to make you think. He loves to make you fearful. That's it. He loves to make you fearful. Well, what if? Well, what if you get cancer? That's fear. Well, what if you, uh, child gets on drugs and gets wayward? Well, what if your marriage doesn't work? Well, what if you lose your job? What if the economy of America absolutely tanks and it becomes bankrupt? How are you going to deal with that? That's been on my mind for about three days. I said, you know, it was, it's like a, we're out of control. Unbridled spending. No, no end in sight. And, of course, I, I've read where many top economists said, uh, it's not if we go bankrupt, it's when. Now, I can sit around and worry about that. I won't tell you what. Listen, if God can feed a sparrow, he can take care of me. Amen? If God can clothe the lily, he can clothe you. But you've got to understand something. Jesus came to take the fear out of our heart. And he came to give us security that is found in him. And I love what God's word says. In 2 Timothy 1.7, The Lord has not given us the spirit of fear. What are you afraid of? What is it you wake up in the night and it's on your mind? Or what is it you go through the day and all of a sudden there's that uneasy feeling, there's that anxious feeling? I, I don't, you, you just live with uncertainty. Wait a minute. Jesus came to take the, uh, the un out of certainty. Instead of being uncertain and insecure, he came that we might live with certainty and security. 
The Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You say, Brother Fred, does fear ever try to rise in your heart every day? But you don't receive it because you, you, you know the truth. Hey, you, you, don't you love the promises of God about fear? In Psalm 27, 1, you know what it says? The Lord is my light and my salvation. <laughs> Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Woo. He's the strength of my life. Your life, whom shall you fear? I love that great promise. In um, Isaiah uh, 40, verse 10 and verse 13, these are two of my favorite verses. I figured it out. I have 1,032 say favorite verses, but this is one of them. But I want you to listen to this. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. If you would just let yourself go, you could look at all of what's going around you, and you could focus on your circumstances, and, and man, it'd be so easy to be anxious and to be afraid, just to, to let fear rule your life. And, and I'm telling you, that's not God. God... We're secure in Jesus Christ. There's a certainty in Jesus Christ that the world didn't give to us and the world can't take it away. I'm telling you, you don't have to be afraid. It says in verse 10, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you. Thank you, Lord. I will help you. Anybody in here need help? Woo, I need help. <laughs> I need a lot of help. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Glory to God. And then he says in verse 13 of Isaiah 41, For the Lord, I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand. Well, Lord, I'm kind of nervous. I'm kind of afraid. He said, just take my hand. Just take my hand. Just abide in me. Just abide in me. Get your eyes on me. Don't listen to the roar of the devil. He said, I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not. I will help you. Listen, it's not just what Jesus saved us from. It's what Jesus saved us to. He saved us from guilt and shame and, and, and uh, sin to bring us to a life of holiness. He changed, t t t uh, saved us from a life of selfishness and self-centeredness to a life of giving and to a life of service. And he saved us from a life of fear to give us a life of security in him and certainty. We got freedom when you're not under the control of anything except Jesus Christ. I'm moving along pretty quick. This is number four. Jesus sets us from the freedom of worry, which is different from fear, to the freedom of trust and peace. Now, I want to talk to you about this. Now, fear is where you fear something. But worry, you say, well, that's the same thing as fear. Not necessarily. You just worry. You're anxious about it. You worry about it. You just worry about it. 
I don't know what you'd do if some of you didn't worry. You're full-time worriers. You know what that lady told me when I was trying to tell her not to worry? I told her to put a Philippians 4, 6 on a refrigerator. Uh, be not anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. Don't worry. Pray, and the peace of God will, will guide your heart and mind. And I was just, I, mean, just, I said, you get that verse where every time you start worrying about everything, you just read that. She said, you don't understand, brother. You don't understand, brother Fred. Worry is a part of our family tree. My Lord, she said, my grandma worried all the time. My mom was a worrier. I would have, should have said, cut down the tree. I didn't have enough sense to say it. <laughs> but she was serious. She said, that's just who I am. I'm a worrier. That's not who you are if you're a child of God. That is not who you are. You're a person of faith and trust. Jesus came, Matthew 6, 25 and 27. You know what he said? He, you couldn't. You, you couldn't say it any plainer than this. He said, don't worry. Verse 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry. What part of the, that don't you understand? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, and, and your, your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And then he goes on and he, and he says, in verse 27 of chapter 6, he says, Which of you, by worrying, can add one inch to your statue? Now, you say, Lord, I'm 5'9", but my goal is to be 5'10". And I'm going to worry until I'm 5'10". That's what Jesus said. You can worry all you want to, but you're not going to grow another inch if it's not God's will. And then he goes on and he finally says, in verse uh, uh, 31 of Matthew 6. Therefore, do not worry. Okay, Lord. Saying, what will I eat? What will I drink? And what will I wear? Jesus told us not to worry. Philippians 4, 6. I'm telling you. See, Jesus came to save us from a life of fear. To set us free from a life of fear to a life of security and certainty. But Jesus came to give us freedom from a life of worry to a life of peace and trust. And so you go over to Philippians 4, verse 6, and and see, you notice, I'm not giving you my opinion. You know what I'm doing? I'm just giving you the word of God. And by the way, uh, my word, I hope every word I speak is the truth. But you know what's, what's powerful is the word of God. That's what's powerful. This book is powerful. Hebrews says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing asunder soul and spirit, joints and marrow. You can't preach too much of the word of God. Well, you have too many scriptures in your sermon. How can you have too many scriptures in your sermon? Will you answer me that? I only got 55 in this one, man. I ought to have 100. (laughs) Look at Philippians 4. He says, let me tell you what. Don't worry, pray. Don't worry, pray. It's so simple. Paul said, listen. uh, In Philippians 4, uh, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. 
Don't worry about anything. Well, how am I going to deal with it, Brother Fred? Listen, the difference between worry and concern is this. Worry, you just worry. Concern, you pray. Worrying is a dead-end street. Concern leads to prayer. Worry is a dead-end street. Concern leads to prayer. I'm concerned about a lot of things. So what do you do? Pray. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Now, I looked that word up in the Greek. You know what everything means? Everything. You got it. I thought it was just the big things I wasn't supposed to worry about. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's everything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Get to praying about it. God, this is worrying me, and I'm, I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to trust you in this. You are going to see me through this thing, Lord, and, and I don't know where it's going to come from, but God, you're not a man that you could lie and you could fail. Be, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, it means you keep on crying out to God until the answer's in your hand. By prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request. Well, I feel guilty when I ask God for something. Well, then you're you feeling guilty about what God told you to do. He says, don't you be anxious for anything. But by everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you tell me what's on your heart. You let your request be made known to God. And boy, look at verse 7. Whew. And the peace of God, when you start praying about what you're worrying about, says, and the peace of God, which passes human understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. And he says, let me tell you what to think about. Don't worry. You just pray, and God's peace is going to guard your heart and mind. He said in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's uh, are just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good report, if there be any virtue in any phrase, think on these things. You know, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was so much fear, but I think it was anxiety. After I had my second heart surgery, you know, and it was pretty rough, that last, the last one, I mean, and it just was slow getting over it. Now, I'm over it now, praise God. But you know, I'd have the slightest twinge or something, you know. And I'd just get all nervous. I said, oh, my Lord, I'm fixing to have the big one. I mean, you know, <laughs> like that guy on television, whatever his name was. Oh, he said, whatever her name was, this is the big one. Hey, I've, I've realized I ain't got no control over that. So what you do, you just pray about it. Lord, you, you, you heal my heart. And Lord, I praise you, I won't live one day less than you want me to live, and I won't live one day more. Case closed, I ain't going to worry about it, and I'm not going to be afraid. You have to deal with stuff like that. It's real things that come into your life. Freedom from fear, freedom from worry, to trust and peace. Okay. I got uh, one, I think I'll just do one more. This is a big one. Jesus came to set us free from sin, guilt, and shame to give us a life of righteousness and holiness. Jesus came to set us free from a life of selfishness and self-centeredness to give us a freedom to be giving and serving. Jesus came to set us free from a life of fear 
and free us to a life of security and certainty. And Jesus came to set us free from a life of worry, to give us a life of freedom, of peace. He says, and he said, when you pray, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and your mind. Philippians 4, to a freedom, to a life of peace and trust. And then he came to give us freedom from a life of bitterness and unforgiveness to a life of, to the freedom of forgiveness and kindness. You know, I want to, I want to say that again. Jesus sets us free from a life of bitterness and unforgiveness. And he sets us free to a life of forgiveness and kindness. You know, um, Jesus made a very sobering statement in Matthew 6. And, and if you don't think about it, you'll say, well, that can't be. But I'll tell you why it can be. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about this thing of forgiveness. And in the Lord's Prayer, which is right above that, he said, and forgive me my debts or my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. But then after that, you know where he goes to? He goes to this thing about forgiveness. And he says, For if you forgive those, if if you for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. He said, If you know you forgive others, God's gonna forgive you. If you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. You say, well, wait a minute now. Jesus died for all sin. Listen, see, if you don't forgive others, you've got sin in your heart. It's a sin of unforgiveness. How can God forgive you if you've got it in your heart? So Jesus said, now, just as you forgive others, man, God is, is forgiving you. But if you rebel and refuse to forgive others, how can you experience God's forgiveness yourself? You know, I love what the Bible says. God doesn't just, Jesus just doesn't set us free from unforgiveness and bitterness. He sets us free to forgiveness and kindness. And you know the classic verse on that? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. I just want you to listen to this. Philippians 4, 31 and 32. It says here that Jesus sets us free Paul's writing from bitterness and from unforgiveness to a life of forgiveness and freedom. Listen to it. Ephesians 4.21. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you with all malice. And this is what he's replacing. I've set you free from that. And be kind to one another. Oh, be kind to one another. I'm not going to be bitter towards you. I'm going to be kind to you. You, you, ever, you ever notice when sometimes when people get mad at you, you say, well, I'm just going to kill them with kindness. I'm not sure you need to use that word. You're going to saturate them with kindness. You're going to respond with kindness. I'm not sure you got it right if you said it that way. 
It says, be kind. I love to be around kind people. Harsh people, bitter people, angry people. Lord, deliver me. Deliver me, Lord. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God in Christ forgave you. Oh, to be set free from bitterness and unforgiveness. To a life of forgiveness and kindness. Tenderhearted. Kindness, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Well, if we have a problem, y'all don't listen fast enough. <laughs> and I'm not going to get into these last two because they're too important. So we will continue uh, July the 13th at 1030. And I'll add three or more to it because I'm just not going to preach on two. No, I'll add three or four, okay? I don't want you to leave like you didn't hear enough, okay? <laughs>